reality of it is, is that God is actually pursuing us, right? It's just like the prodigal son, when he comes home and the father sees him, what happens? The, the, the father runs after the son, and that's kind of the idea here, man. God is, God is so good, isn't he? He is so good. He's amazing. Amen, amen. Well, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at a few verses, starting in verse 9 here in just a few minutes. We'll get there in just a second. We'll be using other scriptures as well that will be on the screen for you, so I'll have those uh, already up on the screen, so you don't have to turn your Bibles. If you want to, to jot them down when we get to them, you can, but uh, uh, they'll be on the screen for you. Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Well, last week, we, we kicked off this, this new summer series, and I'm so excited about it. It's called Life on Mission, and if you missed last week, uh, man, welcome. Uh, we kicked off this new series and uh, I said, man, it's just going to be a great series. I'm looking forward to seeing just what God does uh, through us in this series and through our church. And I said it's going to be just a, it's a critical time for our church or an important time for our church. I'm, I'm excited to see what God does uh, through us as we move through summer and into the fall. Uh, I'm just excited. Um, man, just, it's an exciting time. And so we're doing this, this summer series called Life on Mission. And and I said, man, I know that it's summertime, I know that we are all busy, I know that we have vacations and different things like that, but I encourage you that if you do miss a week, uh, you can go online and you can listen to our sermons. And last week I said that to you, and you might know that as soon as I say that, guess what happens? It's not on, it's not on there, it didn't get recorded. So, uh, so guess what I get to do this week? I get to preach it again, right? Uh, so, man, I'm going to preach that sermon again. It probably won't be exactly the same as it was on that day, but because uh, it's kind of hard to preach to an empty room. So if anybody wants to come and just sit here while I... <laughs> when am I going to do it? I don't know yet. I don't know. I might do it late at night. I don't know. But anyways, uh, so I will, it will be on the, the website uh, sometime this week, and, and, and hopefully this sermon will get recorded because uh, I don't want to have to keep preaching twice, uh, twice a week. <laughs> If I do, I'm going to ask for a raise. <laughs> Where you at, elders? <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, we're, we're doing this, and, and, I, and I even said, hey, this, this Life on Mission, we have small group material that goes along with this. A guy by the name of Jeff, uh, Tim Harlow uh, wrote this, this material, wrote this book. He's a pastor out in Chicago, Illinois, Parkview Christian Church. We met him this past February at Next Level Leadership Conference. Great guy, super guy, solid guy. And this material is really good. And matter of fact, one of our small group leaders already grabbed the material last week and read through it uh, in like one day and texted me and said, man, this stuff is good. This is good stuff. And, and so I just encourage you, man, if you're in a small group, if you're a small group leader, uh, maybe in the fall if you want to grab this material and, and look through it, I can, uh, we can help you with that. If you're not in a small group but you want to get uh, through this material, get a couple of people together, man, and go through it. It's really beneficial. It'll really be helpful. And my thing is this, man, I just want us to pray uh, that, that God will open our hearts and our minds to what he wants to do through us, because uh, like I said, I just really believe that this is going to be, uh, it can be life-changing, it can be transforming for our church, and so I'm looking forward to that. I want you guys to go ahead and mark uh, on the calendar July 31st, go ahead and write that down, July 31st, it's the last Sunday of July, it's going to be the last sermon in this series, we're going to wrap that series up uh, on that Sunday. And it's Family Sunday. It's the fifth Sunday. 
So this is what we're going to do, okay? We're going to have one service that Sunday morning, 1030. So you guys remember that. Jot that down, 1030. Kids will be in here worshiping with us. You guys know, man, we always try to make that kid-friendly service. So I'm excited about that. But we're going to end that series talking about prayer. And so we're going to do that on Sunday morning, and then we're going to come back on Sunday night from 5 to 6.30, and we're going to have an, uh, just a time of worship. We're going to worship uh, the God, our God, who we serve, who loves us, and we're going to do that, and we're going to have some interactive different things uh, that you can participate in as we worship. Uh, it's going to be a cool experience. It's going to be kid-friendly, man. You're going to want to come to that. And then that's going to kick off a 24-hour prayer, prayer vigil that we're going to have. Uh, we've done this before in the past. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll have a sign-up thing out in the foyer. You can sign up for a, an hour time slot, and you can just, that night when we come to worship, you'll leave, you'll take the card, and then some point over that 24 hours, you will spend that hour praying, uh, and we encourage you to participate in that. It's going to be an awesome time. So July 31st, all right? Good? All right, is everybody excited? Awesome, awesome. I'm excited, too. So, so, like I said, we kicked off this series, and the question that we've been asking uh, throughout this series, and we're going to continue to ask is, is why am I here? What's my purpose here on this earth? What's my mission? Have you ever asked that question before? Have you ever asked the question, like, what am I doing here? What, what's my purpose? Right? What's, what's life supposed to be all about? Um, you know, when you think about life on mission, that sounds kind of adventurous, right? We think about this, this noble calling, this, this life of adventure, uh, man, I think a lot of us want to live a life of adventure. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with the old TV shows and that recently been made into movies, The Mission Impossible? You guys know what I'm talking about? And in those shows, the premise of the show is, is you have this, this secret special agent person uh, who, who is, receives this message and, and it's recording. And on the recording it says, uh, it gives out the mission, what the, the agent is supposed to do. And then what does the recording say at the end? It says what? It will self-destruct. What does it say before that? Yes, if you choose to accept this mission, right? Yeah, this is, this is what it's going to be. And it says, uh, it says this, this message will self-destruct. Uh, and, and then, how many of you guys remember, I remember when I was in elementary school, I used to read those, I think they were called adventurous books? I, I don't know. I can't remember the title of them, but, but the way they, you read them, you read them to a certain point, and then it gave you like option A, option B, option C and you turn to that page. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys remember those? How many of you remember those books? Oh, several of you do. Excellent. First service was kind of like, what? Uh, but, but you guys remember it. So how many of you guys cheated in those books? And you would go to each option to see how it ended. Yeah, I did that too. I was like, yeah, what kind of adventure is that, right? I know, know what it's going to be about. But, but that's, uh, that's, that's, that's uh, adventure. Yes, that's that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, but, uh, but the reality is our actual life is, is a little bit more, more mundane, a little bit more drab, right? I mean, that's the reality. Uh, for most of us, a typical day looks like this. We wake up in the morning, we get ready for work, we have kids, we get our kids ready for whatever they have for that day, and then we come home and we cook and we clean and we get our kids ready for bed, and then we go to bed just to get up the next day to do it all over again, right? That sounds adventurous, right? <laughs> All right, where, where is the adventure in, in that? And so that, that's what we're here for, man. That's what we're asking the question throughout this series. What's my purpose? Why am I here? What is my mission? Mark Twain said that the two most important days of your life are the day that you are born and the day that you find out why. Rick Warren, uh, he asked the question, why doesn't God just take us to heaven when we become a believer? 
I mean, that would be nice, right? If you just become a believer, give our life to Jesus, and then go off to heaven and not have to worry about this life and all the troubles that we have to endure in this life. That would be awesome. But Rick Warren says there's two things that you can't do in heaven that you can do on earth, and that's sin and tell people about the good news of Jesus. And then he asks a rhetorical question, what do you think God left you here for? Right? It's to tell people about the good news of Jesus. It's the only reason our hearts are beating after we become a Christian it's because we've got a mission. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Right? It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's not about you checking off boxes and, and doing a religious activity. It's not about you earning salvation. It's all a free gift of God. It's grace. And then in verse 10 he says, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what Paul is saying there is, man, we've been saved from something for something. We've been saved. We've been rescued from sin and death and destruction. And we didn't get rescued just to, to sit and do nothing. But we've been rescued from those things because we have a purpose. We have a, a mission. He has prepared in advance for us to do. We have a, a purpose. Do you realize that God is on a mission, that God is a, a missional God? You know, I tell people that you can sum up the whole Bible in just one sentence. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, it's about God. It's about him being on a mission. He is uh, pursuing after us. Ever since the fall, Genesis chapter 3, the rest of the Bible is about God chasing after us and restoring us back to a right relationship with him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent. Right? He's sending Jesus into the world. That's the heart of God. That's his, his desire for people that he created and to, to have a relationship with him. And in that one verse, we see the initiating love of God moving towards us. And this is good news. That Jesus, this was Jesus' mission to, to come and rescue us from sin. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John 17.18, Jesus prays to the Father and he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. It's talking about us, right? His disciples, that's you and me. We follow Jesus. We, we have been sent. The Apostle Paul sums it up like this in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. And I'm reading from the message translation because I like how it reads. And this is what he says. He says, The most important thing in my life. Right? Not, not, not the second most important, not the third. Right? It's not down the list of things to do, but Paul says, man, this is the most important thing in my life is that I complete my mission. The work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, to tell people the good news about God's grace. That's the most important thing that we can ever do. I know it's easy to get sidetracked. I know it's easy to think there, there are other important things to do, but do you realize that if, that if we don't tell people about Jesus, then they're going to spend eternity separated from him. And that's, that's, we don't want that. Jesus instructs his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Right? And our Jerusalem, man, it's here. It's Chester. It's, it's at our grocery stores. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our communities. Right? That's, this is our Jerusalem. The problem is, is that um, our Jerusalem now makes up one of the largest mission fields in the world. Right, the fastest growing people in America are the ones that don't believe any religion whatsoever. 
And we said last week that I, I don't think this is a Jesus problem, right? Because when you look through Scripture, you see that people were drawn to Jesus. People who were far from God were drawn to Jesus. But, but the problem is, is that today that Right, and last week we said the religious people were the church-going people, right? They're the church people. The only time we see that in Scripture, that Jesus beats people over the head with Scriptures, is with those guys. Listen, I was reading this past week in my, in my Bible time, uh, in my quiet time, and I was reading the story of the, the woman caught in adultery. And if you didn't grow up in church and you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. Uh, I'll just quickly tell you about this story. So this woman uh, act, literally gets caught in the act of adultery. Like, how crazy is that, Right? Like, if that's you, you're, like, so embarrassed, right? You've got this uh, uh, shame. You've got this guilt. And these religious leaders drag this woman out of this house, already feeling shameful, already having guilt, and they drag her out in front of everybody and because the law of Moses, right, the, the Moses in the Old Testament says that if, if a woman uh, commits adultery, if she's caught in adultery, whatever, then, then the law of Moses says to do what with her, right? Pick, take out your stones and stone her to death. Condemn her. And so they bring this woman out to Jesus, and they're like, okay, we want to see how Jesus responds to this situation, right? We're going to get Jesus here. And so they bring this woman out, and they're like, Jesus, what, what should we do, right? They're, they're wanting to hear Jesus say, hey, let's throw stones. And I love how Jesus responds, right? Jesus doesn't, this is, Scripture says he kneels down, and he, he does something in the dirt. We don't know what he did. A lot of people think that he was writing the sins of the, of the church people, the Pharisees. I don't know what he did. Maybe he was doodling. Maybe he was drawing pictures. I don't know. But Jesus then says, you without sin cast the first stone. And, and every single one of them left because they, they were sinners. They'd fallen short. Do you realize that the only person there that day that could have thrown a stone was Jesus? And yet Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? And this woman who was filled with so much guilt and so much shame, she looks at Jesus and says, there are none. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. This woman's life has just been changed, right? I mean, and that's, that's what we're talking about. The religious leaders had drifted from God's purpose. They had lost focus. They had lost sight of the mission. And this is so easy for us to do as a church. Right? It's so easy for us to, to, to lose sight of what our purpose is. It's so easy for us to come here and make it about me. That's what sin does. Sin turns me inward. It makes, me, it, makes it about me. Right? And Jesus was so good at focusing on those who are far from God and, and connecting with them and building relationships with them. And We see this in Luke 15.1. It says that now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying that this man receives sinners and he even eats with them. How dare Jesus do that, Right? Jesus knew, man, that the only way he was going to fulfill his mission is if he came and if he got connected with them, if he, he engaged with the sinners and got connected with them. And so last week, what the challenge for you guys was to, to leave here and think of one person. Who's one person that you can uh, think of? It's a coworker, it's a family member, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody that you know that's far from God. Somebody that you know that needs Jesus. That was the challenge. And then the challenge was uh, to think of them and then pray for that person. Pray for them regularly. Pray for them every single day, man. Pray that God would draw them to himself and that he would use you to do that. So we, that was the challenge. And so then this week, uh, the action point, the challenge is going to be for us then to connect 
with those people. Connect with that one person. Connect with those people. Listen, when we talk about sharing our faith, man, I know that that's a scary thing. I know that whenever we stand up here and talk about sharing our faith, it's like, man, I don't know if I can do that. It's scary. Because we get these, these, these things in our mind. It's like, okay, I've got to go door to door and pass out Jesus tracts or stand on the side of the road and, and beat people over the head, right, with the Bible. Come to Jesus. You know, we think that's what it is. But the reality of it is, and I think you're going to learn this throughout this sermon series, man, is it's just about building relationships. It's about connecting with people who are far from God. And we'll talk more about that next week. All right, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk more about it next week, too. And, and then just building relationships with them. Right? And then once you do that, man, it's, it's going to give you opportunities to share your faith and, and what Jesus has done in your life. You know, Jesus, when he was here on earth, man, he spent a lot of time connecting. He, was, uh, he wasn't just connecting with church groups and disciples, but he was connecting with sinners and tax collectors. And we see that here in this passage. Matthew chapter 9, look at it. Uh, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to read this first verse here, and then we'll stop and chat for a minute, okay? So it says, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him, all right? So, so first of all, Matthew, he's the author of this gospel that we're in, the gospel of Matthew. He is a Jew, but not only is he a Jew, but he's a tax collector. That's what the scripture says, he's a tax collector, which means that he has sold out his people. Okay, what you have to understand is that in this first century world, the Jews hated the Roman government because the Roman government oppressed the, Drew, the Jews. And so for a Jew then to go and work for the Roman government to collect taxes, that was a no-no, right? That means that you were despised by your own people because here's what, uh, here's what a tax collector did. A tax collector was like scum of the earth because then they would set up these booths, right? You'd have these booths set up and as people walked by, then they had to pay these taxes, and, but not only were they paying taxes, because here's the Roman government says, okay, you need to collect taxes for us, but then you can collect whatever else you want and put it in your pocket. And so, so essentially what, what Matthew was doing is he was robbing his own people. He was working for the enemy, and he was being extortionist. He was robbing from his own people. He was getting rich from his own people. He was, and they, they hated him. They despised him for it. In Luke 19, uh, it tells the story of Zacchaeus. Again, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's a story uh, about this wee little man, wee little man was he. He climbed up the sycamore tree, right? And, uh, and, and he's, it says in ver- uh, chapter 19, verse 2, it says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he would have been hated, he would have been scum. But, but, but the cool thing is, man, is that Jesus is walking through this town, and what does Jesus do, right? He connects with Zacchaeus. He says, you know what, you're the worst sinner in this town, I want to connect with you. And he says, come on down, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus is like, what? You're, you're coming to my house. And I just, this, is, and this, is, this is the idea that I want to get across to you, man, is that, is that the tax collectors were scum of the earth, right? They were hated. And they, they would be the bottom of the rung. Like, if we were to classify sins, which we don't classify sins, okay? There's no, there's no sin that's worse than the other. A sin is a sin is a sin is a sin. But if we were to classify sins, in Jesus' day, it'd be like, you know, a... a prostitute would kind of be down near the bottom, but then tax collector, tax collector would be at the very bottom. Like, they were worse than prostitutes. Like, if hell had a basement, tax collectors would be in the basement of hell, right? I mean, that's, that's you can't get any lower than that, right? I mean, that's, that's how bad it was. Last week, I, I told you the story of, of Luke, in, in Luke 18, 
uh, chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, where Jesus said these two men went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a church person, a Pharisee. The other one was a tax collector. And this is just to kind of get, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you of what these tax collectors, what, this, what they were, what society, uh, how they looked at them. And it says the Pharisee, the church person, prays, and he says, you know, God, I'm so awesome, and these are all the things that I do, and I know that you are just so, so lucky to have me on your team, right? And that's how the Pharisee prays. But then uh, notice the tax collector, it says that he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. You know why he stood at a distance? For two reasons. For one, it's because he recognized that he was a sinner and that he was in the presence of a holy and righteous God. Listen to me, I, I pray every single week, man, for, for us and, and for, for this gathering here that, that we would see ourselves for who we are in light of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because until we see ourselves as sinners in need of Jesus, we're not going to see Jesus appropriately for what he's done. And so this, this, this tax collector, he recognizes himself as a sinner. He stands at a distance because he's not worthy, and he, he has his head to the ground. The other reason why he's, he's at a distance is because, listen, the Pharisee, the church-going people, had banned tax collectors from the, the temple. Right? They, they stood at the, the church door and said, you know what? Your kind is not welcome here. Your kind is not welcomed here. How many times, man, have, have people stood at the doors of churches in America or across the world or whatever and just say, you know what, your kind is not welcome here. And so this is Matthew, right? He's the lowest of the low. He's considered scum and Jesus walks up to him and Jesus invites him to follow him. Now this is huge. You've, you've got to understand what's going on here because in, in, in Jesus' world, in the first century world, every single Jewish boy's dream growing up was to study under a rabbi. Okay, and a rabbi in Jesus' day was a teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He taught scripture. And so Jewish kids, man, if you were Jewish, you had kids at a very early age. I'm talking like early, like three, four, five years old, man. You are, you are starting to, to pour scripture into them. That was the idea. I mean, they were, they were huge. It was a huge educational system. And so these guys began to learn scripture at a very early age. A lot of Jews by the age of 10 would be able to memorize the whole Old Testament scriptures, right? And you're thinking, what? I mean, that's how serious these guys were about it. And while they were going through school and while they were learning these things, they would also learn the family trade, right? And so this is why Jesus uh, became a carpenter, right? Because his earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. So while Jesus is going to school and learning the scriptures uh, and studying, he's also learning to swing a hammer. This is why when Jesus comes and he calls his first disciples, they are doing what? They are fishing. That was their father's trade. And so here, here's the deal. See, these, these, these kids, they're, they're growing up, and their dream is to study under a rabbi, under a teacher. And so they get to a certain level of education, like 13, 14, 15 years old. It's time for them to move on. And what they do is they go out and they start scoping out rabbis. They start scoping out teachers. They're like, okay, I like that teacher. I like that teacher. I'd like to study under that teacher. And so the idea was is they would go to the rabbi, the disciple would, and they would ask the rabbi. They'd say, hey, can I study under you? Can I learn from you? Now, what you have to understand is that in the, in the first century world, a rabbi never, ever, ever, ever asked a disciple to follow them. It was always the disciple going to the rabbi. And so, so the, 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 the disciple would go to the rabbi, and he would say, hey, can I follow you? Can I learn from you? And then the rabbi would test them. Say, well, 
let me ask you some questions. And he would ask them some questions from Scripture. And depending on how the student answered the questions, the rabbi would either say, yes, you can follow me and you can learn from me. Or he would say, no, you're not going to make it. Go back and work your father's trade. And so do you see what's happening here? Right? You see that, that Matthew has become a tax collector. He's sold out because he didn't make it. He didn't make the varsity team. He didn't, he didn't make the cut just like the rest of Jesus' disciples. And so Jesus, being a rabbi, goes to his disciples and he asks. He says, come follow me. He invites them into a relationship with himself. This is so amazing. I want you guys to understand this because the invitation is for you and me, right? And this is such good news because, listen, we don't have to have it all together, right? We don't have to be a varsity-level Christian to follow Jesus. We don't have to have our act cleaned up. We don't have to, you know, it's, it's Jesus comes after the B team, right? Isn't that awesome? Right? How many of you ever got picked last for kickball? Come on. How many of you are scarred for life because of that? Okay, me either. But how awesome is it that Jesus picks us, right? That he picks the, the down and out, the, the, you know, the, the B team. Right? He's not looking for a Pharisee who's entitled, who has it all together, the most popular. And this is what's so amazing about Matthew 9, 9, man, is he comes to a tax collector, somebody who's sold out, and he invites them to follow, follow after him. But get, it gets even better. Verse 10, it says, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, listen, there's a lot that happens between verse 9 and 10 that's not said there. So we just kind of have to assume things. But, but essentially, so Jesus calls Matthew and says, follow him. Matthew's like, this is, this is cool. Because you've got to understand, man, they're like, a rabbi has asked me to follow him? Like, this has been my dream. And so they, they, these disciples are following Jesus, and then Jesus somehow ends up at Matthew's house, right? And, and, and all of Matthew's sinner friends are coming to Jesus to hang out. Because all, that's all he has is sinner friends. He doesn't have any good Christian friends. Listen, if you're living in a life of sin, that's, that's all you know. You don't have Christian friends. And so all of Matthew's friends come to his house, and they're having one big party. I love what Tim Harlow says uh, in his book. He says that this is the Bible's way of saying that Jesus was at a naughty party. A naughty party. Right? I, I guarantee you. Now listen, I, I've, I've been to, to both parties. I've been to a Christian party before. And I've been to a naughty party before. Okay? And I, I can tell you that Matthew was not playing Mercy Me uh, over the radio at this party. Okay? You guys don't know who Mercy Me is. It's a Christian, it's a Christian radio band. Okay? They weren't, playing, they weren't playing David Crowder, Chris Tomlin. They weren't playing. He didn't have worship music going on in his direct TV. Okay? It, that wasn't happening. All right? And yet Jesus is connecting with Matthew and his friends, right? Jesus is a center magnet. That they're drawn to Jesus. And I love this next verse because the Pharisees, the church people, saw this. And they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus hears this, he said, he says that those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, those who think they don't need me, then whatever. But I'm here for people who know they need me, right? The, the sick, 
the, 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 the tax collector that's, that's got his head bowed down because he recognizes he's in the presence of a holy, righteous God. That's who Jesus came for. And then he takes a jab at him. I love this. This is so good. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. Now, I'll explain what that, what that means here in just a second. That, that's awesome. And then Jesus quotes from Hosea 6.6. 6. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I said, so first, Jesus is like, dude, what do you think I'm doing here? This is, this is my purpose. This is what I came for. This is my mission. And then secondly, you've got to understand what Jesus just said. He just insulted the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And not only does he offend them by hanging out with sinners and eating with them, but he has the nerve to, to go to the religious leaders. Listen to me. These are schooled, well-educated, trained leaders who know the word of God frontwards and backwards. And Jesus has the audacity to say to them, hey, why don't you go and learn? Do you see the insult there? This is why the Pharisees and religious leaders hated Jesus, right? This is why I love Jesus, right? Wouldn't it be awesome to have been there like, been like, get him, Jesus, yeah. You know? Because what Jesus does, he's, he's treating them like beginners. Right? He's treating them like, you, you guys just don't get it. You're missing the point here. You, you have no clue. Like, you have drifted so far from the purpose of God that you, you're just, you're messing up. You're missing the whole point. Jesus is saying, you should know this. This is our business. This is my mission. Listen, Jesus' goal was not to come and to build little box churches for us to kind of gather in and, and keep safe and, and shield ourselves from the rest of the world. That's not what Jesus called us to do. And listen, I love church, man. I love coming here. I love to worship with you guys, man. But this is not what our purpose and mission is. Right? Our purpose is, is to go out. Right? Our purpose is to make much of Jesus in everything that we do. And reach people with the gospel and disciple people in the gospel and equip people to share the gospel so we can just keep reaching more and more people. And while we're doing that, man, we're just making much of Jesus. Because it's all about him. And that's, that's what we're called to do. Mike Iaconelli says that until Jesus came along, we were all outside the fence of God's grace. Jesus did more than just move the fence. He tore it down. No wonder he made the scribes and Pharisees nervous because fence makers do not like their fences torn down. Listen, when, what Jesus did was considered scandalous in his day. Listen, when Jesus comes and he invites us to follow him, he says, come follow me. Or he says, and I will make. Right? The idea is that Jesus is going to change us, transform us. Right? The gospel message is good news, not just for, I mean, it's just about transformation. Right? It's, it's about changing us from the inside out. And that's what Jesus is talking about, man. He's like, listen, I want to, you to follow me. I want you to have a relationship with me. And then I want to change you and transform you so that you can go out, man, and, and, and reach other people with the gospel. That's what it's about. And for a lot of churches in our Western culture, man, it still is scandalous. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in our culture, man, that feel like they have been shunned by churches because of the way they look because of the way they talk or act. And what we've done a lot of times in, in churches is we've stood at the door like the Pharisee and we say, you know what, we don't want your kind in here. And I'm just here to tell you, man, that's not the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to be a church that, that welcomes people into this place 
We're going to be a church that preaches the truth of Jesus and shares the gospel with people and the love of God, regardless of their background, regardless of their ethnicity or socioeconomic background or, or whatever. I don't, I don't care. It, it, we, we want them to be here and, and feel safe in this place. You know, and it's, it's difficult for us to do, right? We talk about connecting with, with people. You know, statistics say that Christians who have been Christians for seven years or longer have a hard time. Uh, their relationships are mostly Christian people. Relationships are mostly Christian people. Like, a lot of us probably don't have a lot of non-Christian friends. A lot of us probably don't have a lot of non-Christian friends. Um, so we've got to be intentional. We've got to be intentional. I want to challenge you to think about how many relationships you have now where the person is far from God. How many people do you know that are far from God that you have a relationship with? And I want you to connect with them. I want you to continue to build that relationship with you, with them. And as you pray for God to draw them to the cross, man, just pray for an opportunity to share with them. And we may have to be intentional about this. Listen, it's been... Probably one of the most hardest things for me, man, as a pastor, because, you know, I work at, at, at a church, and so I'm surrounded a lot of times by Christian people, uh, and that's not a bad thing. I enjoy that, but I've had to be intentional as far as getting out and meeting non-Christian people. I've told Robin that one of the toughest things for me since I've been in the ministry, because when I graduated high school, I went straight into the workforce, and I, I went through a, an apprenticeship, and it was a five-year program, and so I got my, my license in electrical work, and I became a journeyman wireman. And I love that and, and because during that time, I was, I was working with people who were far from God. And it gave me an opportunity to connect with people and to, to have conversations with people. In the, and it was just a great, like, I love that. I'm a people person. I love being around people. And so then I, I get into ministry because I, I know this is what God has called me to do. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I need to be around more lost people. And so I've had to become more intentional. I've often told Robin, I said, sometimes I love to get just a part-time job somewhere in a secular place just to work around people who don't know Jesus. And so I just try to be in the community as often as I can. And I, I, I volunteer at the local schools. You know, a lot of us here in our church, we mentor at Harrogate Elementary School. And I'm telling you, it's been an awesome, awesome opportunity. You know, the last five years, I've had a young guy. His name is Ja Reed. He's graduating from the fifth grade this past year and he's going to middle school so I won't be with him any longer but over the past five years I've had the opportunity not just to get to know Jari, not to get to know Jari but to also get to know his his mom and his brothers and sisters uh, it's allowed me the opportunities to, to sit in their living room and to have conversations with them you know to, to meet his mom and talk to her and the struggles that she has and I remember one time I, I think it was around Christmas time. I, she, she actually came to our house one time, and, and, and we, we, we talked with her and helped her out with some stuff. But I'll never forget, I sat in the living room one time, and we were having a conversation, and, uh, and she was just dropping F-bombs everywhere, which, you know, that's cool. I'm fine with that. I wasn't offended. Uh, she knows I'm a pastor, and, and that was cool. And, and, but she was talking about her struggles, man. She's like, man, I struggle with weed, and I'm struggling with this and that. And the struggle, it was real, and I'm just like, but it gave me the opportunity to, to share with her the gospel, that, that God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and man, I would love to be able to stay here and tell you that Anita has given her life to Jesus, and, but she hasn't yet, but we'll keep praying, and we'll keep seeking, and 
you know, in, in your neighborhood, who in your neighborhood is far from God, man? We, we try to intentionally build relationships with people in our neighborhood. I got a, my neighbor Heath who lives beside me. We've known him since we've lived there. And I invite Heath over to watch basketball.